invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John's Gospel, John chapter 1. Continuing and concluding this brief series that I've been doing as we look at how the four gospel writers introduce us to Jesus. And John opens his gospel account with the exact same words that the Bible opens with, in the beginning. And in Genesis, God is revealing to us how it was at the beginning and his work as creator. And in John, we are introduced to the creator, the one through whom all was made. We're introduced to the glory of Christ who is and who was from the beginning. This is a familiar account. But as with each of these gospel accounts, don't let the familiarity of the story lead you to forget the wonder. Instead, live in awe of, live in trust in, and live in obedience to Jesus, the eternal Son of God. We do something a little bit different, and hopefully I won't forget as I go through. I'd like to read the, the scripture in sections and read the first 18 verses and speak about them and then the, the middle section and then the last section. So hear God's word, but keep your Bibles open as I hope you do uh, week by week. John chapter 1, this is the very word of the very God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And we'll end for the moment from our reading there, but let's ask God to guide our thoughts as we consider his word. Please join me in your hearts. Our Father in heaven, would you open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things out of your word? Would you cause us to have our wonder at you renewed and our wonder at Christ renewed even as we consider this introduction to our Savior from John's gospel? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Behold, behold. It's an old-fashioned word. I doubt if any of you said it this week unless you were reading it in the Bible. It means look at that. Pay attention to that. This is something worth your attention. Behold Jesus. And here in this first section, we behold Jesus, the eternal Son of God. 
in verses 1 through 18. Behold Jesus, the eternal Son of God. He is eternally God. He's eternally existent. He was in the beginning. When did you begin? Uh, one of my sons sent me a text message this week. I don't know why. Uh, he said, how old are Grandma and Grandpa? He wanted to know about their beginning. Because our birth, minus or add nine months of development in the womb, is when we began. But Jesus never began. He was, as one commentator remarked, a friend said, he was, he was wuzzing at the beginning. Uh, he was when the beginning began. He was eternally, is eternally existent and eternally with God. It's pictured here in verses 1 and 2 as being face to face with God. In verses 14 and 18, the only begotten, the eternally born son. He didn't begin to exist at his birth. He was the eternally born son. And verse 18 speaks of him at the father's side. And really, it could be translated lying on the father's breast. It's a picture of intimacy. One of our sons, more than the other of our five of our six children, the other five of our six children, was a cuddler. And we called him our cuddle bug. And he loved to snuggle with his mother and sometimes even with his father. And I don't want to in any way diminish Christ. But in some way, in some small way, that picture of intimacy that a child cuddling with his parent enjoys and experiences, in a small way, that is like the eternal intimacy that Jesus enjoyed in eternity past with God the Father. He's eternally existent, eternally with God, eternally God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not a God, the Word was God, and is the eternal creator. He made everything that was made. Nothing was made that was not made by him. Jesus is eternally God, and Jesus came from, man, from God to man. He communicates God to us. Many believe that that's the reason that John uses the word word to describe Jesus. He is the one who communicates God to us. To people. Uh, Calvin translates it as in the beginning was the speech. It's another word for verbal communication. Another writer spoke of it as the communication. He is the one who communicates God to man. He shows God to man. The only way that we can see God is to see Christ. God dwells in unapproachable light, and yet Christ shows God to man. I was wondering this week, uh, do schools still have show and tell? I got a thumbs up. I remember show and tell. That was a long time ago. And, you know, if you, if you had something to show and tell about, it was kind of exciting. Again, don't let me diminish Christ, but this is the greatest show and tell that ever took place in the history of the world, that Christ showed us God, that Christ communicated about God to us. Jesus, the eternal God, came from God to man and became man. He became flesh. He gave up his glory and lived for a while as in a tent with us. 
Not long after we arrived, a couple of years after we arrived in Australia, the 7th of February, 2009, a date that's often referred to as Black Saturday, the start of the deadliest bushfires in Australia's history. 173 people died in those bushfires. Whole communities, including a community that Nancy and I had been to at a little uh, bed and breakfast, completely destroyed, burned to the ground. And in the aftermath of those fires and in the cleanup and the rebuilding, rulers and celebrities and princesses came to visit the fire victims. But they only stayed for a few moments. Christ came to this earth, lived among us for some 33 years. He pitched his tent. And the eyewitnesses, though his glory was veiled in his human flesh, Nevertheless, it was at times revealed, and the eyewitnesses saw his glory and testified to his glory. He came to his own, to the Jews first, though from the beginning the plan was beyond that. The prophet Isaiah says, from God the Father to God the Son, it's too small a task for you simply to redeem Israel. I will send you as a light to the nations. But why did he come? Why did he become human? He came to bring life to death. To be sure, we have life, our physical life in him, but also that spiritual life. To have life when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He came to bring life to death. He came to bring light to darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend him. And mercifully, for those who witnessed him, he sheathed his light in a human body so that he might bring light to men. And he came to bring fullness of grace and truth. Grace heaped upon grace, more and more grace given by Jesus who became man, given to us. Have you received the fullness of his grace? Grace to be born as a child of God, not by natural descent, not by the will of the flesh, not by the will of man, but by God. And yet even as he came to bring light to the world, the darkness did not comprehend him. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You've certainly had the experience you're peacefully sleeping in your quiet, dark bedroom and someone turns on the light. It's confusion, there's resistance. If you, if you tend towards violence, maybe you, maybe you break the light bulb so that it doesn't brighten up your dark room. The world is hostile for the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Darkness did not comprehend him, but do you comprehend him? The world did not know him, but do you know him? Do you recognize him? His own did not receive him. He came to give life, and yet many said, no thanks, I don't need it. Now you probably, like me, get calls from telemarketers. And that's your response. No, thanks. I don't need it. Whatever you're selling, I don't need. I, you don't even have to tell me. I, I already know by the pause before you start talking that I don't need whatever you have. And so many people respond that way to Christ. I don't need it. I don't need what you have. And yet we have to offer them Christ. His own did not receive him. Have you received him? Have you been given that right, the authority to be a child of God? When our children were a little bit older, at times, we gave them our credit card. 
they had the authority to purchase on that card, in a sense, whatever they wanted to purchase, though we did give instructions along with the card, in a very small way that pictures this authority that we're given to become children of God. Authority, the right to be God's sons and daughters, really to be God's sons because we have all of the rights of sonship. What great love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God and such we are, and such we are. Behold, Jesus, the eternal Son of God. And now let's take up the reading in verse 19 through 34. As we behold Jesus, the Lamb of God, and this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, Who, who then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah has said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. Behold, Jesus, the Lamb of God. John, the baptizer, prepared the way. John identified, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet, I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And in a real sense, any of us can say that I'm just a voice, I'm just one who speaks a message from God. John reminds us of the eternal existence of Christ. He existed before me. In human history, Jesus was born after John the baptizer. But he existed before me, and I'm not even worthy to loosen his sandals. Back in the day, uh, reminiscing about my kids, I guess, uh, they were littler and I was younger. I'd come home from work and sit in my easy chair and Kids would come and take off my shoes, go get my sandals, my slippers, and put them on my feet. And not once did my, one of my kids say, Dad, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to untie your shoes. <laughs> this real sense of humility from John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. I am not worthy to untie his shoes. He is so much greater than me. Why is he so much greater than me? Because he takes away sin. John had been preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, but now he sees Christ and he calls to his disciples and to all who will hear, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
look, pay attention. You need this Lamb of God. I need this Lamb of God. And what would these Jewish hearers have thought? We don't know for certain, but we can look back in the Old Testament. Perhaps they thought of Abraham with Isaac. As Isaac asked his father, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? God will provide a lamb, my son. Or perhaps they remembered that Passover lamb. They, they slaughtered once a year. Perhaps they remembered the account of the first Passover when the blood of that lamb was smeared on the doorposts so that the death angel passed over these whose lives were also forfeit, the firstborn of Israel. Or perhaps they had in mind that lamb of Isaiah 53, the one who's revealed after we're revealed as sheep who've gone astray. And we're told that he was oppressed and afflicted, but he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers. He did not open his mouth. A silence of strength, not of weakness. On the cross, they shouted, you who are the son of God, can you not come down from the cross? Of course he could have. He had the ability, but he was unwilling. He was unwilling to do anything except suffer for his people to be the Lamb of God who was slain so that he might take away the sin. That's John's message to the Jews, your sinners. And it's John's message to us. And the only one who can take away your sin is the Lamb of God. Reading an article, I think it was in this morning's paper. I read it online, so sometimes the days get mixed up. But there was a, a rally yesterday to to speak against violence after the gun violence on Christmas Eve. There's apparently a group that was coordinating this, uh, men of influence, seeking to be an influence for positive, uh, a positive influence, especially in the lives of young people in this community. They're so caught up in sin. And I read a little bit about them. I went to their website and read a little bit about them, and I commend them for their work, but it fell short. Well, they said love. Love's the only thing stronger than hate. No. Unless you mean the love of Christ. The one who not just can give an example to people, not just can train people, not just can be a model, which are all important and valuable things, but the one who can take away sin. The one who can change a heart. So that rather than wanting to sin, we want to do what's right. Jesus takes away sin. And John says about him, this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. He says, I didn't know him. And we think, well, you were his cousin. Well, I don't know. You know, maybe cousins didn't get together that often. Or maybe he didn't know who he was, even though he knew who he was, if you know what I mean. But he said, I want to tell you about this one who has been revealed to me. I didn't figure this out on my own. I didn't make this up. This was revealed to me by the voice of the Father and by the form of the Spirit that this is the Son of God. And John bore witness to him, which begs the question, what about your witness? What about my witness? If I haven't already repeated myself on this, I probably will. Bill Isaacs was a man who came to Christ through the ministry of my first pastorate in Evansville, Indiana. He was 65, he and his wife 
confessed Christ as Savior and Lord. And at age 70, he died of pancreatic cancer. And I was with him in the hospital room just a few hours before his death. And two unbelieving granddaughters were with him there in the room. And he said, tell them, Ed. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them how to be right with Jesus. And I did, and I don't know if they've ever responded to that, but he was bearing witness about his Savior even in the last hours of his life. This is the Lamb of God. You have sin that needs to be taken away. That's the message that John had. That's the message that I have. That's the message that you have. I spoke to someone yesterday who said, I don't believe anymore. Leave me alone. Stay away from me. I so desperately wanted to say so that he would hear and listen, this is the Lamb of God. You have sin that needs to be taken away. But ultimately, though we can testify to Christ, we can't convince them. There is good evidence that the Bible is a reliable source of truth. Better evidence for the Bible than for any other book in human existence. But ultimately, we don't seek to convince them ourselves, but we pray that God will convince them. That God will reveal to them that this Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, they may have life in his name. Behold Jesus, the eternal Son of God. Behold Jesus, the Lamb of God. And now, reading from verses 36 to 51, behold Jesus, the only way to God. The next day, John was again standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Once again, the reading from God's word. Behold, see Jesus, the only way to God. And in this section, we see that he bids you to be with him. He bids you to be with him. John who was the most popular preacher of his day, gladly sent his disciples to follow Jesus. Who were these two disciples of John who went after Jesus? One of them, we're told, was Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother. 
it's, it's speculation because the Bible doesn't reveal it, but it seems likely that the other was John. And they came to Jesus and he said, what do you seek? What do you seek? Do you seek the taking away of your sins? Do you seek salvation? You will only find it in Christ. Will you learn from Christ? They identified him as rabbi, as teacher. And they said, where are you staying? The implication was, we want to stay where you stay. We want to be with you. Jesus said, come, come and see. Come and be with me. As he says later in John's gospel, abide in me, remain with me, come and be with me. Will you remain with Christ? Are you content for just a few minutes each Sunday? Some, again, speculating that John was the other disciple of John who followed John the gospel writer, the disciple of John the Baptist, but followed after Jesus. And one of the reasons they speculate that is because John references the time that Jesus said, come and see. If it was John the gospel writer, perhaps it was something he would never forget. I'll never forget what time it was when Christ bid me to be with him. Where were you when the black forest fires hit? What were you doing when those towers fell on 9-11? Where were you when the Challenger space shuttle exploded? Go back a little further, too far for some of you. Where were you when Reagan was shot? When John F. Kennedy was shot. I was two, so I don't remember that one. But often we remember significant events. And you might remember when Christ first bid you to come and see, to come and abide with him. But in some ways, there's even a greater blessing, especially for you who grow up in, in the church as covenant children, that you might never remember. Never remember when you first came to know Christ because you grew up knowing Christ. Never remember when you first came to love Christ because you were taught to love him and he opened your heart to love him from even your infancy. And so don't for a minute think, well, I don't have much of a testimony because I don't really remember when I came to trust Jesus Christ. Just remember that you're trusting Jesus Christ. He bids you to be with him. He calls you to follow him. We've seen that in the other gospel accounts. Follow me. Follow me, Jesus says. Are you following? And does it show in your life? Does it show in your witness? Andrew says, we have found the Messiah. He goes and finds his brother, and if it was John, the implication is that John goes and finds his brother James. And Andrew brings Peter to Jesus, and Jesus sees him, and Jesus renames him, and Jesus changes him. And Jesus does that to us as well. And some of you are even now laboring at finding your lost brothers and sisters your lost sons and daughters and trying to bring them to Christ, urging them to come, find with you the Messiah. Philip was found by Jesus and commanded to follow and his invitation was, we have found him. That's the regular response of disciples of Christ. When, when they find Christ, they go and find someone else to bring to Jesus. 
Is that your response? Are you finding people, seeking people, and bringing them to Jesus? Him, of whom Moses and the prophets wrote, all of the Bible is about Jesus. Come and see. Jesus invites these two disciples to come and see. When Philip invites Nathaniel, and Nathaniel's a bit skeptical, a bit hesitant, he doesn't try to get into apologetics with him. Not that that's improper. There are times when it is proper, but he just says, come and see. Like the woman in the well, come and see this man who told me things told me everything that I've ever done. Come and see for yourself. And who is it that we're inviting people to see when we ask them to come and see Jesus? We're asking them to see the Messiah, the anointed one, the eternal son of God, whom to know is life eternal and whom to reject is eternal judgment and destruction. Not only do we invite people to come and see Jesus, but he invites you to see him. A specific promise here at the end of the chapter to Nathaniel, but by implication that promise is to all of Jesus' disciples as he invites us to see him as he is, the only bridge between heaven and earth, the only way between God and man. Certainly, although John doesn't tell us this directly, certainly Jesus had in mind Jacob's vision, Jacob's ladder as we call it. That dream that Jacob had where he saw angels ascending and descending from heaven to earth on a ladder. And Jesus is that ladder. He is the only way between heaven and earth. Behold Jesus. See him as the only way to God. Behold Jesus. See him as the Lamb of God. Behold Jesus. See him as the eternal Son of God. See him. What's the most amazing thing that you've ever seen? With my physical eyes, the top three are my soon-to-be wife as she stood at the end of the aisle in the church preparing to walk up and marry me. Our firstborn son, as I saw him born, and held flesh of my flesh. And driving in a rainbow. In a rainbow. I can tell you about it more if you want later. Those are the top three most amazing things I've seen with my physical eyes. But with the eyes of my spirit, I've been enabled by the grace of God to see Jesus, to behold the Lamb of God who's taken away my sin, Have you seen him? Do you live in awe? Live in awe of him? Do you live in trust of him, in him, and do you live in obedience to him? Jesus, the eternal Son of God. Behold, the Son of God. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, what wonder that we should be called children of God. What amazement that we are not left to die in our sin, but Christ became human to bear our sin for us, to take our sin away. What wonder that we have the privilege, even though we're just a voice, of proclaiming God the Son, the eternal pre-existent God who came to this earth, whose glory was beheld for a time, and whose glory we will one day see face to face if we are in him. And so, Lord, fill us with awe and wonder at Christ, who is the eternal Son of God, 
and is our Savior by faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.